0: Entrepreneurs, are you trying to make bigger profits in your small business? Like many of us, I'm sure you're feeling it. Business is hard, and now more than ever, you need to have a plan to help you not just survive, but thrive. And it can happen as simply by thinking with the end in mind. I'm Marcia Reiner. I'm a business growth strategist. I've helped tons of small businesses to establish and implement a tangible plan that guarantees increased profitability, guides your growth, and plans for your future exit. Because a business worth selling is also a business worth owning. And I want to share strategies that I've earned and learned with you on today's Profit With A Plan podcast. But before we get started, I have something to share with you. I've put together an insightful and think-outside-the-box out the, live web class on Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. It's specifically designed to help you learn how to turn your business into one worth selling, even if you aren't thinking of selling it yet. Why now? Join me and find out all the benefits that come with a sale-ready business. Register for free at exitwithaplan.com. I'm really excited to have my new guest and friend today, Lori Barkman. She is known as the business transition serpa. If I can get my mouth to work, the H's aren't working today. With her firm, Small.Big, she advises owners on having a more valuable, sellable business. And as a partner with Stony Hill Advisors, which is a merger and acquisition firm, she guides them through a complex process of letting go. Lori is a former CEO of a $100 million revenue company with an exit to a Fortune 50 company. With more than 25 years of C-suite and award-winning marketing expertise, she provides actionable perspectives to drive sustainable value. She engages audiences across the U.S. Lori is an adjunct professor and of, of entrepreneurship at Carnegie Mellon University and leads an executive workshops with Vistage and hosts a weekly podcast called Succession Stories. Lori earned her MBA from Carnegie Mellon University and a B.I.S.I.L.R. from Cornell University. And she currently is certified as an M&A advisor and a certified value builder, giving her the knowledge to expertly represent clients and coach them how to maximize the value of their business. Really excited, Lori. Thank you for coming on. Welcome to Profit with a Plan podcast. Thanks, Marcia. It's a joy to be with you today. Yeah, we have had just some fantastic conversations. We came together um, uh, through an introduction of somebody on the outside, and we just gelled. We speak the same language, and I just I just love everything you share with us. So we're going to talk about an interesting topic today that I think um, owners are missing the boat on, and that's preparing for an eventual sale. That sale can be you know five, 10 years, 15 years away, but there's a lot of value that we both talk about in preparing for that sale. So, Lori, share with us, if you don't mind, what are your thoughts on why business owners really need to prepare for a future sale? Marcia, I think it
1: all starts with the individual. What are their goals? What are their hopes and dreams? And I'm sure that's where you start a lot of your conversations with potential clients is understanding what drives them, what motivates them. Some business owners want to start other companies. They get one started, or maybe they've bought a business and they're motivated for the next. Mm. And those are serial entrepreneurs who just get really excited by the prospect of creating something. And then they they may have more of a natural propensity to let it go. They may not be the one who's so tied in day to day. The other type of entrepreneur that I meet, and I'm sure that you've talked to as well, are the ones who maybe have a craft or profession, and their identity is very much tied in with the business. This could be a doctor, this could be an attorney, this could be a, a, a wellness practitioner. It also could be, so we might think of them as craftspeople. It also could be someone who perhaps has inherited the family business. Their name is on the door and they're very much, again, their identity is very much tied in with this business. And there's this other category too, where perhaps there's a little more arm's length as an entrepreneur, they have built the business, but they've owned it a really long time. And we might categorize them and say, from a demographic standpoint, perhaps these are baby boomers, right? If we want to generalize, and say they might be in their 60s or 70s. And this is all they've known. They've they've put their heart and soul into building this company. They, they may on their horizon have a retirement or something that is exciting to them, maybe being in the grandparent business. But mm-hmm. whatever it is, the common thread across all three of these types of entrepreneurs is the more personal vision they have what are those factors, what are those things pulling them forward that they're excited about when they think about leaving their company? If there is zero on the list, zero that they're excited about, how successful do we think they're going to be in trying to, you know, put a plan together? Probably not, not super excited, right? Exactly. It'd be like great place to start. (laughs) It's like pulling teeth. It's so difficult. And there's all kinds of reasons why someone might be motivated to transition. And I don't want to presume they're going to sell. Let's just use the word transition because it's, it's more generic for now. And the creating options for that transition is really what I'm all about. Let's talk about what those options are. And, And frankly, the more time you have on your side to create options, the better. So I think to go back to your question, to circle back to it would be, it's about understanding the motivations of the seller, the entrepreneur what they're trying to accomplish in their next phase of life, whether that's outside of business, personal, um, is also tied to their frame of mind, their mindset about the business and how ready they'll be to get the business ready. So there's different aspects. There's the personal side, which I've been focused on here in my comments, and I'm sure we'll talk about next, the business readiness. Mm. But if we don't have the personal readiness in play, then it'll be very difficult to get to the next level
0: but that usually requires to have that personal readiness that usually requires that you're closer to that potential transition or exit that you're starting to think hmm i'm kind of done here what's the next phase in my life or you know i'm 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 prepping junior to to ramping him or her up to take over for me so i'm thinking in those minds but not everybody's there yet is there, is there any kind of reason why we would want to start having this conversation, even if we're not that close to thinking Absolutely. about yeah. what's coming? Absolutely. If we,
1: if we go to the core and say, why would a business owner work on getting their business ready for a potential transition? What we really mean is that there are core elements that make a business more transferable, or less transferable. If we just take the transferable word, so mm-hmm. what does that mean? Let's uh, let's kind of unpack that. So, what is a more transferable business, and what is not, and why does that matter? Well, from a risk perspective, if you have a more transferable business, it will be inherently less risky to so. lead that company. Well, if you're the primary owner and you're in the business day to day, let's just take it from a sales standpoint. Are you the rainmaker? Are you the person that's bringing in more than 50% of revenue each year? What happens if you get sick? What happens if something, God forbid, happens to you? All the client relationships are with you. You know the names of their dogs, their kids, their birthdays, which which is great. And it's helped you build your business, but it does present risk. Another type of risk is employees. Let's say that you have a key employee or two. I have a client that He's in this situation. His vision for a transition in the next five to seven years was to transition to his number one um, employee. This is a pretty small company, less than than six people. And that was his vision. And he had not yet had that conversation with the individual. But then six months later, after we started an engagement, we learned that this this person wants to move to, to Europe and live in Europe (laughs) with his his wife. And wow, that's a pretty divergent plan. And what does that mean for the business owner? Well, it means he needs another plan.
0: And so there's all
1: kinds of examples like that where you might have a vision for what you think is going to happen. And then you need a plan B, you need a plan C. And inherently having a more transferable business also means you have good documentation. You've created a a process that can thrive without you. Mm -hmm. We talk about a concept of, hub and spoke problem where the business owner is the fire chief firefighter at large, right? The the employees keep bouncing back to him or her to answer questions, solve problems, sign off on expenses, you name it. And that doesn't free the organization from that person. A key question is, Can you, when's the last time you took a vacation? Um, How long can you go on vacation without the organization not emailing you, not calling you there? When I do these Vistage workshops, sometimes I hear great stories. One was a business owner literally went on a journey for this, you know, striving to be separated from his business over time. So what did he do? He took a day off here and there. Then over time, he increased it to a couple days and then a week and then a month. And then by golly, six months. And he said, do not call me, do not email me. And, and it was the ultimate test that he had a, and it's such a, such a counterintuitive thing. If your business can thrive without you, (laughs) you will inherently have a more valuable business because it's transferable. Because I you have documented it. processes, you have systems in place, you have relationships with your key clients that are not you. There's mm-hmm. basically a fail safe, right? It's a, it's kind of like a economic safety net that inherently is creating value. Again, a little counterintuitive because what we're saying to a business owner is it's not that you're not important. It's that your team, your processes, and the systems you've created are more important than you. <laughs>
0: And they're worth a whole lot more money because what I always explain to my my listeners and my followers is that if you are the business, nobody's going to want to buy your headache, right? They don't want to step into your 16-hour-a-day, six-day-a-week job where you're thinking, constantly trying to manage, whereas a real business, as you explained, has systems and people and, and processes and the leadership guides the company, but they're not in there swinging the hammer. That's right. That's right. Love it. Love it. Wow. So those are all really great explanations of how you can de-risk the company by putting these systems and, and people and processes in place. So what are some of the other angles that we would want to do in our business? I mean, you listed so many of them that would maybe increase the value even more. Well, it we we can boil it down to eight core
1: drivers of value. And I'm sure you've talked about many of these on your, on your show. The first is recognizing that the size of your business does influence its value. There is a mm-hmm. discount that is put on a smaller business, let's say under 5 million, certainly under 10 million is another, mm-hmm. is another heuristic. And, the and reason that's, for,
0: that's top line revenue, right? Not profit. Top
1: line, top line revenue. And the reason for that small business discount, if you will, is because a potential buyer is looking for a predictable stream of future cash flows Mm -hmm. and smaller businesses will inherently have a smaller number associated with it, but also it smaller businesses tend to have these owner trap challenges. So if you can show to your, uh, let's call it the competitive market. And potentially, again, if you're thinking about selling your company one day, why your business can be or is different than others in your in your in your category. And and the other aspect of this is your industry. So mm-hmm. it's good to understand the comparatives in your industry. There are different valuations based on industries. And that's also because again um, in the private market businesses are valued on on different aspects of cash flow. And the types of risk associated with different industries. Mm-hmm. So, a company that is a services business will inherently be de- valued different than a manufacturing company, or right. a you know a trash company, or a, um,
0: a, a restaurant or hospitality, or hospitality,
1: yeah. of course. And so, there are factors that you do not control when you're looking at industry factors. Mm-hmm. Of the factors we can control leads us to some of these other value drivers. So one of them is then differentiation. Yeah. So Warren Buffett likes to talk about a competitive moat. What what kind of competitive moat do you have around your business that helps you differentiate that helps your business stand out and how can you show that and prove that um in a in a in a way. Your website is one great way. So Mar- so Marcia one obvious one if your website is like circa 1992 well that might be a good place to put on a front a front end and update your website and talk about the things that that matter to your customers and by the way when's the last time you asked them <laughs> what matters right what <laughs> what that's unheard of <laughs> This workshop that I lead it's one of the exercises it's what do you think you're you know what do you think is important to your to your customers of the services that you provide, what's what's valuable, what's teachable, what's repeatable, and how profitable are those services? And by the way, why do you why do you think that? And I like to challenge my workshop guests, the CEOs, the entrepreneurs, about that. When is the last time that they've done some sort of market study or customer study? Uh, in the introduction, you mentioned that I teach at Carnegie Mellon. It's an entrepreneurship class. It absolutely starts with market analysis, competitive analysis, especially when you're talking about innovation, to mm-hmm. be seeking those opportunities to differentiate. So that's a really key pillar. I mean, I can go on and on. There's more pillars, but I'll just pause with those. I know I've
0: given a lot of food for thought. No, those are fantastic. And they're, they're reasons that what I believe are these reasons that we are preparing our business to sell, to sell or transition also make a fantastic company right so if you understand your market and the competitions and you're innovating and you're growing and you've got positive increasing cash flow and you know you're doing all of these effects that really make a great transition but they also make a really great operating business today so whether you've got a 20 year runway or you've got a 5 year runway to when you're going to transition, these are all really strong strength building company alliances that you want to consider adding to your practice and your business today. And I I love this. Absolutely. It's a
1: more enjoyable business. Uh, If you've had 70, 80 hour work weeks, it's just not sustainable. (laughs) How many baseball games have you missed for your kids or hockey games or soccer? How many times have you not been at the dinner table? And Mm -hmm. Or when you're, or you're there, in-
0: you're, you're struggling through a problem in your head that you're trying to work through because you, you felt pulled by the family to be at that table rather than working through the problems at work. Yeah. yeah. And
1: it's, and it's, and it can be exhausting. So and what's, so yeah, what's the it's number awkward. one
0: reason, the, the funny thing while we're on that point, what's the number one reason we all go into business for is that lifestyle and freedom that we dream about, about being the business owner, right? but then we transition in and we get into the weeds and we're doing everything it just becomes another job right it can be
1: i think there are people who would say if you ask the question are you a business owner do you own a business mm-hmm. that is one distinction are you more arms length or are you are you not and again it comes back to the identity and the persona of who mm-hmm. you are and how you see yourself in your company for folks that acquire a business and want to have a portfolio, there is probably a more natural tendency to be arm's length. Mm-hmm. And for those that perhaps it's been in the family or you've started it from scratch, the business feels like a family member.
0: Mm-hmm. And so that's very different. Yeah, great, great points. Okay. So um we've talked about the ideas of what strengthens, and you gave us, you gave us three of the eight value builders that you talk about. Um, Give us one more, just so we kind of have an even piece on it. What would be your top fourth item that would really add value to the business?
1: Yeah. A big, big one is recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. And and this comes up a lot with services businesses where services, not all, well, not all revenue is created equal, I guess is the best summary. (laughs) If you have a, recurring versus reoccurring with an O, those mm-hmm. are different. Recurring in the definition that we're talking about here is about contracted revenue. An example mm-hmm. that we all have is, is Amazon Prime or <laughs> Netflix. They have our credit card and the literal agreement of terms is that they will charge your card every month until you unsubscribe. So that's a pretty good recurring revenue model and has helped propel Amazon to the heights that it is enjoying today. Well, is this, is it possible for a services business to productize its service and create a recurring revenue stream? I say, yes, Mm -hmm. I say yes. Now that's not an easy thing to do, but it is possible And one of the things that I work on with clients is, is helping them understand those opportunities and it's a transition. It's not easy, but if you're a business that has more project revenue, one time, one off revenue, there's lots of ways to look at your business and slice and dice and look at the data. What does it tell you about your customers? A great example is a, a flower business. They were a B2B flower business, B2C actually to start, excuse me, where they you know were set up and they had their corner and people would walk by. Well, especially with flowers, it's highly perishable. Mm. And the average transaction for flowers is roughly $25. Well, what did these owners do? They looked at who was buying from them on a regular basis and they discovered that there were hospitality category, <coughs> E2B buyers. So they had some restaurants, they had hotels. And what ultimately they, they came up with was a recurring revenue model to provide hotel lobbies and restaurants with flower displays on a regular basis. And so it is not that only a
0: recurring or a reoccurring? Recurring.
1: It was a recurring model and their average order went from $25 to about $2,500, Mm -hmm. And it put them on a recurring revenue model, which was quite significant. And then they ultimately sold. And it was a very, very good example, I think, of an everyday business that got creative and really understood their market potential and differentiation. These all start to tie together after a while. And
0: then and they had a successful exit. Love it. Love it. Okay, so you talked about the recurring. What would be reoccurring? Give us an example. Reoccurring as
1: an example is me with my interior decorator. She probably could say, Lori Barkman's going to spend $5,000 with me every year, but she has no idea when it's going to happen. No idea. And she's not sure it's going to happen. She just thinks it might happen. And she has no idea which quarter it's going to happen.
0: Got it. So it's repeat very- customers, customers that come back again and again to purchase or repurchase um, your services from them. So Uh, In a tax situation, maybe it's an annual tax filing that they do. So they come back every year to do it. And even though that they know the date or the range of it, they're just going to assume that uh, John Doe or or the Smith company is going to come back and redo that. But I love the differentiation in the two streams of income. One would be repeat, I know. And then the other one is um, membership or subscription-based or something that you could have a consistent, accountable, reusable monthly revenue coming from it or quarterly or, or semi-annual revenue. Love right. It. So
1: if you go back to the definition earlier about transferability and risk that I was talking about mm-hmm. and this predictability of future cash flows, a business, even if they're small but they have a high percentage of recurring revenue, can get a different type of multiple. It might even be a multiple of revenue. And you might say, well, what are the types? Well, in a tech company, most often we hear that a company was bought for a multiple of revenue, which is ideal. That's mm-hmm. kind of a, a gold standard to be bought for a multiple of revenue. Mm-hmm. And it can happen in other types of businesses that are not tech uh, if they have a high percent of recurring revenue. that's that's more common. Mm-hmm. Most often it's profitability, net income, it's a multiple of EBITDA, or it's a multiple of what we call, you know, normalized, net income because we are um, taking out expenses that a new business owner would make different decisions on. Mm -hmm. So we normalize that net income and it's often called uh, seller discretionary earnings or the acronym is SDE. So if anyone ever says, oh, I sold my company for, you know, three X multiple, then the next logical question is multiple of
0: what, Love it, love it. So these are really these are really valuable conversations that we're having, or ideas that you're sharing with us that any business owner can put those into their business today and start to think about shifting their their thought process and their planning process around these models because they do increase current revenue as well as they increase the value and the potential for transition or sales sometime whenever that time becomes. So I like these, these are really good ideas that we need to put in there. So we talked about several ideas, four different ideas on ways to strengthen your company and to prepare for that. What are some of the things we don't want to do?
1: Things to avoid. Well, it could be if we flip everything around and say, you have a business that You're only using QuickBooks, which for a lot of companies is fine. But one thing that you might want to consider is to have an annual review by an accountant. And as your company gets larger to, you know, have financials produced by a third party. So that would be one thing. It's not, again, it's not a burning platform for the smaller companies, but as you get more sophisticated, um, that will be more and more important to have financials from a third party.
0: And the reason we do that is so that we can look at the data and make decisions from it. It's just, it's just points of value. What happened last, last quarter, what can we project is going to happen next quarter? And that helps you make good decisions and, in a business to run those financials. We've had tons of guests on here that talk about financials. And I just people hate them and they squirm because they don't understand it. But it is so important to be able to make decisions on data. So it love really that.
1: Is. When I'm valuing a, a business for a client, it's usually the first thing we do. And um, we can do an estimate of value with a with the business owner using some tools that I have. And that I, I typically will do that as complimentary. But for an added service where I do a market-based valuation, um, what I need for that is the last three years of tax returns, current year, PL, wherever we are mid-year, we'll annualize it. Mm -hmm. Um, given the time of this recording, it's the, you know, very early first quarter of 2022. So we're going to try to get 2021 wrapped up. Right. And Mm -hmm. so as time goes by within a year, it's important to keep those financials updated. We'll also take a look at what the owner's personal expenses might be that they're running through the company Mm -hmm. lifestyle. Yeah. And, and it's for the reasons that I mentioned earlier, and it's because we want to take those out, reflect a more normalized Net income, so that mm-hmm. whoever is evaluating the company's financials understands that those expenses would not be continued uh, right. should the new the new owner be you know forecasting forward. So that's right. why those are really important. And it's record keeping. It's just really staying buttoned up on the back office stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Other things to avoid, I think, with um, you know your team is don't make assumptions about their intent to stay with you long-term. I think you don't Mm -hmm. want to have assumptions. Just uh, that story I shared earlier about the person who's moving to Europe. Um, There are other times people will surprise you, especially now in this time of the great resignation and our, and our Mm -hmm. staffing environments are tough where people are making choices. So if you inherently have what I call a two, IC, a second in command, that you really value, and you don't have a um, a long term commitment with them in any in any way, whether it's equity, uh, phantom stock, or other mechanisms that can create a uh, a you know more of a vested relationship, that will present a risk to you, and it will present mm-hmm. a risk to the business. So you may want to start thinking about these uh, potential pitfalls in terms of what are you not seeing. And one might be risks with your team. The other common risk that we don't want to think about day to day, but let's face it, Facebook, if you have a business that's really, really dependent on Facebook for lead generation, (laughs) I'm picking on Facebook for a reason, but um, it, it could be that, you know, what happens if you've built your business on a platform and then that platform changes its parameters and all of a sudden that's affected Things for you. Look at Apple mm-hmm. and Facebook, right? That's a perfect example of one company making a policy decision has eroded billions of dollars of value in the other company.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, if we take that at a small scale and, and we look at your individual business, what risks do you have in your company where you might be over reliant on a particular supplier, a particular vendor, a tech platform, you name it? A it's customer- just a good,
0: if Audit, you're a customer, yeah, customer you, risk. Exactly. Yeah, if you have if you if 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 50% of your business comes from one company, or or like you said, even if if your marketing is in one lane, so you rely solely on Facebook versus going into multiple avenues or multiple marketing pieces, yeah, the, the concentration piece is a really big risk. Yeah,
1: for sure. And then I think also there's always the balance sheet cleanup if you have. Some debt that you could be paying off, um, how you choose to clean up your balance sheet is important, how you're going to maybe write off some bad debts or some inventory that's aging. It, it is good to stay on top of those things. Um, it can look a little painful in the short term, but then it won't affect your your financials in the in the next in the next term. Um, I think also, you know, around the the customer pieces, if if the pandemic has shown us anything. It's probably shown us how the market dynamics can shift very quickly. And if we're not able to adapt because mm-hmm. our processes haven't kept up, and that's a maybe a commentary on, on technology and how you're leveraging technology for your business. I love talking about innovation with mature companies, companies that lean in on it and lean in hard are the ones that are going to come through crises. We've seen some great reports on that from Harvard Business Review and others. And the ones who pulled back at during the pandemic and, and walked away from some of their innovation projects and now are looking at restarting, that's a real challenge. But the ones who kept going and the ones who keep investing in mm-hmm. understanding their market dynamics and what their customers need from them and how they can adapt, are the ones ultimately who are going to thrive and continue to thrive. So that's a potential pitfall. And I know, again, that's not an easy thing to do when there's a time of crisis, but hopefully we've got through a lot of that and people are thinking more about that sustainability for the future. Maybe there's some e-commerce elements. They pivoted really quickly from B2B to B2C. To B to Maybe they're going to continue to invest in that. So I definitely would encourage that. It's not so much a pitfall, more like perhaps at this time, you know, what we've experienced over the last two years is more of a test and learn mentality and, and not having so much fear around new platforms. Uh, this forced us to do it, but hopefully that people have seen the value from it and are getting returned. And if not, go in a separate direction, by all means, you know, right. I'm not saying keep with it if it's not working,
0: but, but yes, absolutely. You have to yeah. stay on top of things and you've got to stay uh, you know, you got what? What is the line? If you're not growing, you're dead. You're dying, right? And even staying still is dying. So you have yeah. to be outpacing the competition, the market, and and not in a, a race kind of thing, but just constantly thinking, how can I innovate and make it better? Um, I love that, but that could be a pitfall as if you're just holding on and and playing scared. Um, I think it's I think it's an important piece that we all should have in, in our business and lifestyle that, you know, we have to lean in a little bit more. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, Lori, this, we, we could talk for days. You and I both know this. We can talk for days on these topics and really um, provide value to the listeners. And I think you have, you've given, you've given me and and the listeners a lot of ideas to consider in preparing their business for a future transition. Where can listeners find out more about you? They can
1: come to my website, which is smalldotbig.com. They'll get a lot of information, a lot of great resources, including my podcast. And it's complimentary to get access to any of those things. But I want to invite everybody who wants to follow up with me individually, direct them to meetlauriebarkman.com. And they can sign up for a complimentary call. And we'll talk about a business assessment. I'll walk them through a business assessment where at the end, they will learn a lot. They'll learn about the factors that help drive the value in their company. If they provide financials, they'll even get a estimate of value. What is their business worth today? And that's all complimentary. There's a lot of value there. Um, And so I'm more than happy to talk to you about your goals and what you're looking to accomplish and for your business
0: to help you get started on this journey. And do you have any uh, particular type of uh, businesses or industries or small or, you know, I love the name small dot big, um, but do you have any kind of floors or limits that you would like to work with?
1: I typically work with companies that are a million to 20, 25 million in revenue and different industries, but I think a core industry for me is our services companies. And helping companies that um, I have experience with fast growth companies too, and many of them are Uh, Mm service-based marketing companies in particular, I have a 25 plus year experience in marketing. So I love working with creatives and marketing companies, but really biz, I would say uh, business services is probably um, where I spend my most, most of my time. And it can be B2B. For sure, um, but then service businesses that also serve um,
0: consumers. I also work with them too. Love it, love it. Sounds like a well diverse, exciting practice that provides so much value and and for for me in the same world. It's just it's so exciting to see the impact that we make with our clients on on helping them strengthen that company and increase the value of it and potentially transition sometime down the road. So, Absolutely.
1: It. It's what I really enjoy doing, as you said in the intro, as a what I call myself a business transition Sherpa. Mm-hmm. And it is a really satisfying thing to work with someone and know that you've helped make a pretty significant impact in their life and the lives of their employees. Mm-hmm. It, it, it does feel really great. And it's a great, um, I think, way, as you were saying earlier, in the summary, you know, from transition to transaction and the mm. work that I'm doing, it's, it's not easy to build a business and Mm-mm. it's not something you do on your own. And when you're ready to transition or sell, why would you choose
0: to do that on your own? Well said. Well said. And an important time to maximize the value since you put your blood, sweat, tears, nights, weekends into this business and a whole lot of your money why not have a transition that you can get paid a maximum value? It's the same as selling your home. You want the most for it. So you often go to the realtor to help you get the maximum value. Same for the business you want to maximize the value. So when you get out, you're getting all that return of your investment. Absolutely. Love it. All right, listeners, thanks for listening today. I hope you found a couple ideas to put into your business that will help you be more profitable today and have a retirement asset sometime in the future. Now more than ever, don't forget, it's important to build your business like you want to sell it. Don't forget to register for my new web class on how to turn your business into one worth selling, even if you aren't thinking of selling it yet, because as we've just shared with you, there are tons of benefits to having a sale-worthy business. It's on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Go register for free at exitwithaplan.com. You don't want to miss this class. And as always, Laurie and I would love to hear your questions. Give us a story. Tell us what you're doing and what kind of shifts you've made. We love the feedback and uh, we want to comment on your questions. So please uh, comment and then don't forget to subscribe to today's podcast. And you can always catch Profit With A Plan on any of your favorite podcast players. And so we're looking forward to more great profitable information on next week's show. So until then, make your plans and profit with them. Thanks so much, Lori.